You are listening to the Fire and Lunch podcast. As a reminder to those listeners wishing to remain unspoiled for the books, run. This is an all-spoiler podcast. All published books and novellas are fair game. Thanks. And who are you? The proud phrase said that I must eat this pie. This podcast is brought to you by the Stark Firestarter Kit. Add one part Rickard to one part Wildfire, and any idiot or mad king can ignite a spark that begins a rebellion. Cheers. Hello, we are Fire and Lunch. Welcome to episode 39 of the podcast. Today we are going to continue our many-part discussion of the world of Ice and Fire, specifically Robert's Rebellion, or as the book would have us believe, the heroic tale of Robert Baratheon as told by completely unbiased people. No, really, but we'll get to that in a little bit. I'm Megan. I'm Katie. And I'm Jenny. And I think first we need to note that this might be the first podcast where we're drinking while doing it. and Drunkcast! Drunkcast, and we're kind of doing it in honor of Robert. Speak for yourselves. <laughs> Thank you, John Aaron. Yeah. I am not John Aaron. <laughs> I refuse to be John Aaron. John Aaron is a terrible person. <laughs> Again, we all get murdered. I get killed by a pig. I leave my head, because apparently I'm the Ned for tonight. Yes, I am Robert Baratheon, because I had a drink before this podcast. And she's continuing the grand tradition of drunkenness. Of Robert, of Robert because not Jenny, because that's really not. <laughs> yeah. As a rule, that is I not Jenny. I think that Robert would drink me under the table pretty fast. I think yeah. Robert would drink, like, an entire party of Marines under the table pretty fast. I think that's generally the consensus. Legolas would beat him. Hmm. He might feel Just a little saying. tingling in his fingers. A little bit. Yeah. A little, little bit. Maybe a little bit. I'm drinking milky tea. Because that's how I roll. I am drinking some Angry Orchard Hard Cider with a, uh, not a weirwood on the, the label, but it's close enough. And I'm drinking Pumpkin Woodchuck Hard Cider. Since nice. I guess I want it to be winter again. Or fall. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll kick this discussion off the way we kicked off the other ones for the World of Ice and Fire, where we just talk about why we were interested in covering this section, since, as you may have been able to tell, we're splitting up. Our group now when we're talking about the world of ice and fire so jenny or katie why do you want to talk about robert's rebellion rob Rhaegar targaryen is a very interesting fellow interesting being i don't think he's half as awesome as he thinks he is and i just want to talk about that <laughs> that's why i'm here so by interesting do you mean frustrating frustrating arrogant Many other things we'll get to. Perhaps slightly crazy. You know, it's just there. Yeah. It's just John there. Snow's father. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> Spoiler, Jesus. <laughs> um, I guess I'm here because besides the alcohol, um, I don't know. I like all the historical parts of the past history of the, the books because I like how they relate to the present story. And certainly Robert's Rebellion is a center point in that history. So... I really just want to know what the fuck happened, to be honest. <laughs> just tell me. Write a book. <laughs> Write a I book know. that is not written by very biased people. Yeah. Uh, I'm with I'm with Katie and Jenny. I mean, this is a topic I've been wanting to cover forever. Like, ever since we started the podcast, I've been saying we need to have a podcast yeah. basically about Rhaegar Targaryen and how annoying and how we don't understand him. <laughs> so like, every I... email Megan goes, so can we talk about Rhaegar? Can, yeah. can we talk about Rhaegar yet? <laughs> Is it time? Can we can we do Robert's Rebellion, guys? <laughs> <laughs> so we're finally doing it. And so I 
Horth had to jump on the opportunity and devote an entire podcast to it, even though in the world of Ice and Fire, it takes up like what, five pages, like not even that? I don't even know. Yeah. Two paragraphs. Two paragraphs. And I just find it so fascinating that George has something that really wasn't long in terms of like Westerosi history. Like the rebellion didn't last all that long, but it affects so many characters and is such a big part of their lives. And it's like this big mystery that we still don't know everything. And it really annoys me. And I really want to know everything. So that's why I'm on this podcast. Well, I think it was stupid to even have this section because they can't say anything. (laughs) I know. Which is a good segue to, so we're going to jump into talking about the way that the World of Ice and Fire presents Robert's Rebellion. And I think something we have to really, I guess, recognize first is, is this really a legitimate source of information? Because (laughs) the purpose of the book is, of course, supposed to be the history of Westeros and the kings, and it's written for the Baratheon regime to be given to them. And so is there some bias going on here? Like... This section's very thin. There's no information. I feel like we get way more information in the books themselves. So this, so it's like, what is the point of this section? And do we really know anything at all? Let's just say that Tommen is not going to be very well prepared. True. <laughs> I mean, this this is basically... Lan- I can't even say that it's Baratheon propaganda because it's very much Lannister propaganda. Yes. Yeah. It's bullshit is what it is. It's, it's bullshit, but like if you read it, it's very much they're putting forth the Baratheons because they're saying it's his good reign and they're saying, oh, and he, I even looked at the section where they talked about um, how in the Glorious Reign page, you know, <laughs> it, in, in Robert's infinite wisdom, he appoints, and his graciousness, he appoints his foster father, John Aaron, as the hand of the king and Tywin graciously understood. <laughs> and I also thought it was really hilarious slash highly suspect that Pycelle is considered the main source of Eris's reign. That's why it's bullshit. That's, no, but that's why it's Lannister propaganda, because that's yeah. who Pycelle yeah. works for. Um, and I also, this gem of a quote just I love as well. For few men were ever so open-handed and merciful as Robert Baratheon. <laughs> you know that's written by someone that's like trying to get in their good graces. Like, you got a little something on your nose there. A little, yeah. little something. Full of brown. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I thought that, like, you know, yeah, we're joking about this now, but really, if we think about the books in general, they're all about unreliable narrator. Like, George talks about this a lot. Like, I think recently he talked about this in regards to Sansa and, like, how she remembers the kiss, a kiss with Sandor when, of course, there was no kiss. And so it's like, well... I guess it would, we should have suspected that this is what the book would be like. It wouldn't. You can't trust everything you're reading in this. I mean, I mean, can we even trust the stuff they say about Eris? Probably not. And it's like, will we ever actually get a fact-based book? And now I'm leaning towards maybe not. It's well, so aggravating. No, and I think that's part of the attraction of it is that it's very much about people. These stories and people are never going to be accurate because everyone is looking at everything through the lens of their own experience. The fact that Many people say Eris is was insane, kind of lends a truth to that. But just how insane, we'll never know because it's really based on even our perspectives as we're reading it. But yeah, I like the idea that we're we're never gonna get a real narrator. We're never gonna get anybody that can be trusted. Because that's life. So before we get jump right into, you know, the rebellion and the year of the fall spring, let's I think we can talk briefly about Eris. I know the other group that did the Targaryen Kings kind of talked about him. But there are just a couple of things I wanted to just 
highlight that I thought were interesting, and Katie, since you weren't in the Targaryen King um, podcast, you can also talk about stuff if you want. But I thought the information about Viserys' upbringing was interesting because I don't remember really hearing about his upbringing. I feel like, you know, he's in the first book. We never have his point of view, so everything we hear about him is just from other people, and I don't think people really think about his childhood, really. I know. I mean, the only person we really hear anything in depth about Viserys from is Daenerys. And she, I mean, he was her parent figure. So she wasn't yeah. really in a position to make any kind of observations on his childhood. Because as far as she's concerned, he didn't have one. Yeah. And now we know that his childhood was with his father being extremely overprotective to like a ridiculous degree. Yeah, which is, you know, it does shed some light. Just why he had no tools to him, like no personality tools to kind of thrive i mean he did what he had to do but he did it just based on the fact that he was told he was special you know what i mean like he didn't really have anything to shield himself with because his father shielded him for him his role model was a psychopath right. basically and i'm not excusing like stuff he did but it really goes to that whole like nature versus nurture like would he have been that way had things gone differently if his father weren't his father or if, if his know, father had died at duskendale yeah and he had been out from under his thumb i honestly yeah. don't even like looking back i don't see viserys as like that crazy i mean he was obviously crazy he put a sword to daenerys's pregnant stomach i mean there was clearly some lunacy going on in there and he beat her but he wasn't it was more neurotic than anything i think he was just so afraid of failing mm-hmm. yeah of not achieving what he thought he was supposed to achieve i mean he's running around going I'm the supposed to be the king of Westeros, and I'm stuck over here, and no one will take me seriously. And you know, he—I mean, his role model was Eris, and his role model was a Targaryen king who thought that their whole, you know, line was special. So I mean, he was raised thinking that he was supposed to be this great person. And well, it was Rhaegar it, too. His role well, yeah. you know, was also Rhaegar for a bit. And so you had the king and then you had this really intense, well-loved warrior prince who you never really got to know. You just kind of had him as a hero on a pedestal. He was super neurotic. Do you think neurotic. that Rhaegar ever sang him to sleep with his harp? <laughs> <laughs> I think Rhaegar did not see you if you didn't fit into his little prophecy fantasy. That's probably true, but I really want to know what the relationship between young Viserys and Rhaegar was. I would love to know that, too. I think it'd be really interesting. Viserys, get on it. Viserys, did you take my harp string? What did I tell you about coming into my room? Mom! And mom's cowering in a corner because she's terrified of daddy. Oh, my God. No. Um, And I feel it were, I don't know, I think it's worth mentioning that I feel like the show actually captures Viserys in a way. Like, I understood him better as a person, I think, through the show, which is kind of weird. Like, you feel like I should have gotten that through the book. But Harry Lloyd did such a great job that now I'm kind of like, I don't hate Viserys the way I probably should. He's misunderstood. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I've always liked about these books is the fact that, I, I mean, it's the whole characters are gray and not black and white thing, but I just like that you can look at a character's upbringing and understand how they got to be how they are, and so you can have some sympathy for them. Yeah, I mean, in the books, too, in the last book with Daenerys, when she's having her hallucinatory, you know, fit of shits in the desert, oh she's... 
call it like I see it. Yeah. Um, you know, she does talk to him and it kind of, she has that honest conversation where, yeah, I killed you, but maybe I get you a little bit more now. Yeah. Than I've been through stuff. That's a good point. So speaking of sympathy, um, let's move on to Tywin for a brief moment because you know what? I hate Tywin. I don't make a secret of that. But reading this, I was like, you know what, Tywin? I don't blame you for betraying Eris because he was a shit to you and I would have totally betrayed him earlier. <laughs> he put up with a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot, a lot. He swallowed a lot of shit because he, but you know what? He didn't do it for any other reason that he knew he was putting himself in the right position to lead. Yeah. You know, and he kind of, he swallowed his pride. He knew what he had to do because this thing is really about promoting his house. He, I think he genuinely believed in that. But Eris just like went a little too far. Yeah. I mean, Tywin's not a good person or a good father or, I mean, he's certainly harsh, but I mean, he is a good ruler. He's a good leader. He's a good leader. And he doesn't want to, like, kill everyone or see everybody starve. So, well, I mean, well, it depends on if what you do to him. Well, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, like... <laughs> if your name is Rainer Tarbeck or, you know, Darklin, you're, you're screwed. No, but, I mean, looking at the small folk, you know, like, generally speaking, he's like, okay, you know, we need to have the entire realm thrive or what are we doing here? Like, he does have that understanding of it. So, when he is in charge... He kind of tries to make it so that everybody is basically okay. And that's really all you could expect <laughs> when you're in, like, a medieval society. Like, are, are you basically all right? Okay, you're good. I, I mean, I do think he would have been a good king. Interesting. I feel like we need to do a Tywin Lannister podcast. Yeah, we do. I mean, I don't know that it, Tywin would have wanted to be king because to be king is way more ceremonial than he was he was actually doing the ruling yeah well now if you know we talked to we mentioned later the idea of robert not being a good egg on the conqueror because he wasn't leaving someone good to rule but if eris had been more you know as he was in the beginning and not psychotic and he had let tywin rule and they had a good relationship i think that really could have worked out so, Jenny, I think that's an interesting idea, and I think, and though I may not really like Tywin, I it, it would be, have been interesting to see what would have happened with Eris had Tywin remained hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe none of this that we're about to discuss would have happened. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, it would have required Eris not being nuts. Well, yeah. Like, if Eris had been sane, I think Tywin would have made a good Visenya slash Rhaenys so to speak. Um, I think, well, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Rhaegar hadn't gone to Tywin anyway, or if he hadn't thought about it to do this little rebellion, or if Tywin wouldn't have approached him about it once he got wind of whatever Rhaegar was planning. I don't know. That's true, which is a good segue to the year of the false spring with the Harrenhal tourney. And as we learn in the world of Ice and Fire, apparently Rhaegar arranged the Harrenhal tourney. Supposedly. Supposedly. Well, um, he either arranged it or he took advantage of it. Well, he ended up not doing anything, I think is the point the book's trying to make, because Eris ended up coming. Right. So he didn't have any secret meetings. Well, I mean, it's interesting because it reminds me of the, the mystery night, in a way. 
you know, having yeah. the big tourney to plot a rebellion. I thought of that too. And I was like, well, is the Mystery Knights George's way of setting up that maybe Hall was meant to be something like that? Maybe. maybe. I mean, it would be interesting. That actually kind of puts another spin on why Ares was so mad about the Knight of the Laughing Tree because maybe he was sitting here thinking, this is Rhaegar's champion. And he's trying to make me look bad. Like, this is how Rhaegar is going to pull stuff for him, like, pull support for him. Well, you know it was, but it didn't really work out very well. Well, right, exactly. Like, if our theory is correct. <laughs> our theory is totally our correct. Our theory I is completely correct. Oh, it's totally correct. <laughs> but reading that section, I also thought of that Jamie flashback he has where Rhaegar does say, you know, he's talking about, you know, when the battle's done, I'll call council. And how he should have done something long ago. And so I'm like, well, maybe that is a reference to how Rhaegar wanted to do something a while ago and didn't for whatever reason. You know, it doesn't, doesn't mean that it didn't work at the tourney, that he couldn't do it right after the tourney. But he obviously didn't. I feel like Rhaegar is just a lot of potential miss and missed opportunities. <laughs> oh, yeah. yes. We will get to that. <laughs> like, you know... You know, there's there's all that stuff with Eris and how he wanted to be the greatest king ever and how he was gonna, like, you know, start all these projects and then didn't. And I feel like Rhaegar's kind of similar to that. Well, I think that's a little bit of his, his psychosis showing, you know, where he just gets super enthusiastic about this and then, but his he can't focus on it. And he's got all this money at his disposal, so he's just like, yeah, let me piss this away because I don't care. Like... <laughs> Uh, and another thing I thought that was interesting that we also learned here is that, so there were divisions in the Red Keep with Eris and Rhaegar, and that Eris, like, none of the people on Eris's side were the Great Houses, which I feel is not good. Like, you really <laughs> want the Great Houses on your side, whereas Rhaegar had, like, the Kingsguard and, you know, people that just seemed of more renown. So it's just like, hmm. Things, I don't feel I don't like know. either of them had the great houses on Neither of them had the great houses, though. <laughs> no, so, I think the great houses were like, like, let's see how this rolls out. Yeah, except Rhaegar had the Kingsguard, which did include, you know, Lewin Martell. That's true. I'm, well, I mean, he was married to Elia, and so of course Dorm is going to support them. Yeah, I think the Martells were like, um, we're going to go with blood. Because they, they loved her. She was pretty beloved in the Martell family. And so they weren't going to screw her and Clearly. her kids out of anything. I mean, like, okay, if it was Eris versus Rhaegar and Lyanna was not involved in any way, like, who would the Starks and the Baratheons and all of them support? I think they would have gone with Rhaegar. I mean, you'd think so, because yeah. Eris was insane. Especially but... if you believe, like, Rickard's whole thing with, like, Southern ambitions and... Like, where could he get a foothold? Probably Rhaegar. Rhaegar was the one that would help him get power. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. if it was left up to Ned, which it wouldn't have been because they, if Lyanna hadn't been involved, then Rickard and Brandon would never have been killed. But, you know, if it were left up to Ned, he would have gone with Eris because he's yeah. just... I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean... an idiot. No, not that he's an idiot. And I'm, normally I say he's an idiot, but I mean, like, he, he just felt that that was his duty. This is very much... He swore oaths to this person. Well, because he's very much, you know, it's all our, it's our whole honor before intelligence right. thing award <laughs> yeah. that we always give out, you know? Right. Cue, cue the gif of, of Pop Toy Ned getting his head cut off. Right. <laughs> Ned. <laughs> well, he's like a cautionary tale. Like, hey, honor really won't keep you alive. Just saying. Yeah. You just, you have to, 
I mean, in this world, being a survivalist is better. In any world. In our world. Well, I mean, yeah, but... <laughs> especially in Westeros. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're not really going to find the nice, honorable people. Like, they really don't exist. You might have a chance in our world. No, I mean, you could be a kind person, but can't be, like, gullible. Yeah, you can't, you know, trust Littlefinger. Right. Or, or like, <laughs> perhaps you don't want to let the person know who you were trying to warn that you might be getting her and her family, like, chased out of the kingdom, that you're about to do this before you actually do it. <laughs> oh, poor Ned. <laughs> so, we talked about the Night of the Laughing Tree a little bit earlier, and I just want to go back to that, just because... I had never, ever seen anyone guess that it would be Jamie. So I just thought no. it was really yeah, I was like, interesting. What are you talking about? I read that and I went, huh? I was like, wait, the knight's supposed to be small of stature and Jamie is not. So, yeah. And I why? mean, he was younger, but no. And he was 16 and just in being 16, too big for his britches. Like, why would he not want to like just whip the helmet off and be like, I am Jamie Lannister. I am amazing. You know? <laughs> But hey, you know, look at this way. Jamie was a good little boy and went back to King's Landing, even though he was all sulky about it. Ned should appreciate that. <laughs> they are very much alike. You wonder, you know, I wonder if Ned were put in that situation, what he would have done. Well, like, I don't think Ned would throw a kid out a window. Well, no, no, no. I'm not talking about throwing a kid out of a window. Yeah, I'm talking but... about your father's coming to sack the city and you're protecting your king and your king is insane and going to burn the city to the ground, <laughs> what do you do? Well, would Ned be like, I have to stand by this psychopath? Or would he be like, you know, I'll just stab him in the back well, and go let my daddy in. When Ned had to face with like his family dying, he finally wised up. Yeah. A little yeah. too late. But well, no, any, I mean, let's be honest here. He also, when he got John from the Tower of Joy, he obviously... He bent the rules there, that's true. Yeah, he true. bent the rules. So he does it. He bends the rules just, for his family. That, that's he just really doesn't it. recognize that in other people is the problem. Right. Well, I think and also the problem with Jamie is that not everyone knows that whole story. That's true. So. But yeah, I just, I had a really big laugh over Jamie being <laughs> the Night of the Laughing Tree. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to mention that. Mira and Jojen were telling the wrong story. I know. Well, and also in their version of the story, they mentioned how Rhaegar was sent to look after to look for the night after you know the next right. day started. This book doesn't mention that, though. They refer to the fact that Eris is mad that the guy wasn't there the next day. So, just well, I thought that was a little. It's also this version is written by somebody who is clearly painting Rhaegar as a bad guy. Oh yeah. You know, so they're not going to put in, and Rhaegar went off to find this person, and then maybe there was a chain of events that connected to Lyanna getting the crown of love and beauty. That's because if you're writing a book for Robert Baratheon, right. you don't want to play up Rhaegar Targaryen. Right, exactly. <laughs> this is like, we're just going to shit all over the Targaryens because we are here for the Lannisters. I mean, Baratheons. I mean, what? Hey, you know what? They were part Targaryen. They are part Targaryens. Everyone's a Targaryen. No, they, there are specific laws against that. <laughs> Not in Westeros. No. <laughs> so another thing that I thought was interesting in this, where they're talking about Harrenhal, which we don't actually get a lot of information about Harrenhal, but we do get that 
Rhaegar and Lyanna met up 10 leagues from Harrenhal, which I think is new. We didn't really know where they met up before. And so I thought that was pretty interesting. I know I've seen people on Tumblr at least speculate that that could be the Isle of Faces. So maybe some weirwoods saw it, which could be how we'll learn about what happened. I mean, we have to learn somehow. That's Come the on, only Bran. right. That's the only reason. I'm just like, please, God, let Bran have seen that, please. Please, old gods. But yeah, that's interesting, though. I mean, that's got to come into play somehow. I always thought that he ran away with with her from the tourney. It's really always unclear. Yeah. Well, at least Obviously. now we know it wasn't from the tourney itself. It was 10 leaves yeah. from the tourney. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you say? I mean, isn't that poetic enough? I mean, this guy doesn't seem like overly sentimental, but it's a cool detail to say, hey, this is in the Isle of Faces. Isn't that weird? She's from the north. Um, well, I mean, I don't think we're know we they're saying it because we're not supposed to know that yet. That's why it's frustrating. It's like <laughs> it's like if you were this maester writing it, would you does he not know? Like, do people not know where they met up? I don't understand. Well, that's or, it. It's like, it's not yeah. realistic that they wouldn't put down the place. No, it's not. But I think we just have to believe for, we just have to forget about that for a minute and just go with the fact that George doesn't want us to know this. It's kind of like all the non-information we have in the beginning part where Katie, we, and I, we discussed this in the ancient history podcast. Yeah. It's like the only reason the stuff's not there is because we just can't know it yet. But obviously they probably know more. <laughs> right. And well, they even in the glorious rain, I was just reading that again. Um, it says, I'm going to quote it because I have it open here. No man can say with certainty what the future may hold. And then it goes on to say, oh, here. No, where is it? There's a, there's a specific line. Well, anyway, basically what the line says is that, and we may learn more. As time goes on, and more of our ignorance would be like scourged or something, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you're just bullshit. You're waiting for part two of this. <laughs> Give me an advertisement in my reading, okay? <laughs> I see you, Lindy and Linda and Elio. I see you. <laughs> so I also feel this is an appropriate time for us to just make a statement that if you've listened to any of our podcasts before, in particular the What's Love Got to Do With It or the Algebra cast, we are a group that basically believes that Liana was not kidnapped. So we're just going on the rest of this discussion will probably be based around the fact that she was not kidnapped. Now, was she held against her will later on? Perhaps. But just when we get into like Robert's Rebellion and the Rhaegar discussion. Just, I like that, to get that it says... Not ten leagues from Harrenhal, Rhaegar fell upon Lyanna Stark of Wirkhal, <laughs> carrying her off, <laughs> he literally lighting fell. a fire that would consume his house and kin and all those he loved. But that, but that tale, I love this part, but that tale is too well known to warrant repeating here. No, no it's not! Please it's repeat not. it! Fuck off. <laughs> you fucking bastards. Little fuckers. That's, that's what makes this book so unbelievably frustrating, because it's like, yeah, we're going to get all this new information. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> so even an extension of that, we don't, like, they kind of skip over the part where Rickard and Brandon die, too, in the Robert's Rebellion section. So we don't even get more information on that. Like, where was he? Or where was Rickard? Like, where was everyone when they heard all this news? And, like, when did I know. <laughs> yeah, the, they really don't talk about the Starks at all. Oh, they don't. And I'll, I'll get to that later because it's kind of annoying that our Ned is like kind of pushed off to the side. Same with Stannis. But 
Um, so I guess we can actually talk about this now. So in the Robert's Rebellion section, it's basically about how amazing Robert is. <laughs> <laughs> and he basically won the whole rebellion, didn't you know, guys? And then Tywin came in and saved him. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how you can tell this is a Lannister-sponsored book. <laughs> no, honestly, because if it, if it had been a Baratheon one, then Robert would have said, put Ned in there. You know, or if it was a Barat House Baratheon propaganda, you would have had Stannis in there. But because it's a Tywin Lannister, like, and I'm saying Tywin specifically, because I guarantee that this person had, like, his fingers in it. Um, you know, it doesn't talk about that. It just focuses on Robert, who is married into the family, and it focuses on Tywin. Tysel is on the Lannister payroll. Right. <laughs> I mean, they don't, they talk about like Storm's End and the siege, but Stannis isn't mentioned. And I just find I know, that. It's weird. It's weird. Like, I want to hear about the, the rats and the onions and the horses and, yeah. and Davos. And uh, I mean, not that. Like, when I was reading this section, I was like, why am I even reading this? Like, this is just no. like. I, unnecessary. Even later, when they talk, and I keep reading, but when they talk about the Greyjoy rebellion, it just says that Robert took Greyjoy's remaining son hostage. Robert yeah. does it. It doesn't talk about who it's like, not like where he goes or who he is no. or anything at all. It's just like, uh, no, just this person. Like okay. Ned Stark is completely irrelevant. And like I, we can theorize that this is like a Lannister propaganda thing, but I also think it's a little bit of George saying, "Don't ixnay on the Arc's day. Like, don't talk about them because that's going to be in the book." Well, it's already been in the book. Yeah, that's kind of the point. It's like. We we know way more about Robert's Rebellion from the books than we do from this thing. And that's why, like, when I was reading it, I was just like, this has this has no new information, basically. Right. <laughs> like, it's just a bunch of bullshit and nonsense. Well, and I think that Jenny made a good point in this in our notes that we do for the show, and that it's because in the books, we get, like, Ned's point of view, or we have Kat, who her family was also really involved, and the Tollys are, like, I don't even think they're really mentioned at all in there. They are once in um, the Battle of the Bells. Okay. They oh. say, and, and the, the glorious victory that Robert Baratheon won here uh, led, was like finished off by the marriage of the Tully girls to <laughs> Robert, uh, you know, John and, this other guy. and Ned Stark. <laughs> you know, like it's just kind of like, oh yeah, those guys. Like, what? That's one sentence. Oh, yeah. the, the, Tully, the Tully daughters to Lawrence, Aaron, and Stark. Right. No, not even their names. Not even their names. Just none of them. Yeah. And, like, we get Jamie's point of view, and, of course, he talks about more expansive stuff. So it's just interesting that, yeah, the books have given us more meat and substance about Robert's Rebellion than this. <laughs> even, like, the Battle of the Bells was a funny story. Wasn't it Thoros who talked about it? It was when Arya was with the, oh, the, yeah. the Brotherhood Without Banners that she heard about it because they passed through there. Yeah. And I'm like, this is fun. And now I have to read it in this piece of crap. <laughs> well, wasn't John Khan at the Battle of the Bells? Yeah, yeah, he was. He almost when died he there. Lost. Yeah, that's yeah. why he was exiled. Yeah. For oh. John Connington. Yeah. See, this is... Forget, forget R plus L equals J. I want, I want Rhaegar to be a good person for John Khan. <laughs> <laughs> Just so that his whole life wasn't meaningless. I Oh, I know. We're going to get to John Khan <laughs> later, but oh, dear. So... According to this whole thing, and like I said, you know, Tywin sweeps in, saves the day, and Elia kills herself and her children. Oh my god. god. <laughs> fucking hate that paragraph. So, that she, angers she... me, and I, ugh, oh, gross. Hold on, I want to read this. Okay. 
Okay. So, yes. So it says, um, Some whisper it was done at Eris's own command when he learned that Lord Lannister had taken up Robert's cause, while others suggest that Elia herself did it for fear of what would happen to her children at the, in the hands of her dead husband's enemies. Yes, because she raped herself and then took her, her own, own son throat. and dashed him against the wall. Can I be, can I be Oberyn Yes, now? you can be Oberyn. Do it. <laughs> we're, we're <married laughs> you raped her. You murdered her. You killed her children. Oh. You raped her. You murdered her. You killed her children. Say her name. Say her name. <laughs> Oberyn would hate this book. Oh my yeah. god. He'd burn it. He'd take... He'd do what Joffrey did to the uh, the lives of the four kings. He'd take his spear and he'd stab it through it several times. No, no. He would be way more sexy about this. He would be like, hmm. Pages, and he'd take the page and he'd like delicately rip it out. And then he'd set it on fire. And he'd throw the burning page onto Tywin Lannister. <laughs> <sighs> and then yeah. he'd stab him. And then he'd stab him with the spear. <laughs> through the page. <sighs> I miss good him. Scene. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like the last part of this section is just where they say the war that put an end to nearly 300 years of Targaryen rule and ushered in a new golden era under the auspices of House Baratheon. Shut up! Which, of course, segues into the last section in this whole thing, which is the glorious reign. And oh, what a Which is just a bunch of nonsense. Because we know this from the books that... It's, it's not, not prosperous at all. <laughs> it's not a glorious reign. And I, I, I find the word choice interesting where it, it's a golden era and, and Cersei gives Robert golden children. Oh, yeah. Good point. It's all – that's where it's the Lannister propaganda kind of coming forth. Mm-hmm. All that glitters is gold. Yeah. Yeah. God, they suck. <laughs> So I also like talking about the artwork, and so I feel it needs to be said, and this has been said many times on Tumblr, but I had no idea Rhaegar was Thor. Thank basically. you. Well, didn't I, all of a sudden, I'm looking at this book reading for our ancient history thing, and I kind of read ahead, and I'm like, wait, it, Thor? What's yeah. his name? I, and I went around and I actually found the picture of Chris Hemsworth as Thor that like just accurately portrays this picture. So I think that's hilarious. And I don't think I ever needed to see Eris's long fingernails. Oh, I've seen that before. I've seen that before, too, but I really don't need it in a book I own. Do you guys ever see the um, Brothers Grimm with Heath Ledger and Matt Damon? Do you have Is to that ask even for a that? Question? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Of course, of course you have. But you know the queen at the end where they show her true form and she's got that yeah. long-ass fingernail? That's what it looks like. Okay. So now I just that picture... movie has Matt Damon, so I'm more okay with well, it. Well, no, but now I picture Eris Targaryen with, like, a, a Spanish accent and, like, a female voice. Jacob! Okay, so now that we've kind of <laughs> talked about the new stuff that we found, or sort of, not even new, well, some new stuff, some nonsense that's in the world of Ice and Fire, let's just talk about the rebellion more generally and its significance to the story and its relevance and... One thing that I always think, what I and also what I love about the rebellion, is that it does seem to affect so many people's lives. And it, I always wondered if it's kind of George's way of kind of getting at the fact that, you know, prior it's always a cycle. Like prior generations fuck up the future for you know the younger generation, and it just keeps going. And that the younger generation always has to fix what the older people messed up. 
Do I get to sing the song again? Well, <laughs> you don't have to sing it if you don't want to. But I always think of, like, Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. And I don't know what it is. But I always think about it when I think of, like, Robert's Rebellion. And not only that, you know, Ned and company, yeah, they kind of fucked up. You know, now their kids are paying for it. But also the parents of them fucked up, like Eris and Tywin and, like, Rickard. Like, they kind of messed up, too. And so then Ned and company had to pay for it, too. So I don't know. It's like this never-ending cycle in Westeros that never changes. Well, Westerosi karaoke time. Yeah. We didn't start the wildfire. Well, I mean, they, we, talked, <laughs> we talked a little bit in the ancient history one about, um, what is it, Oris Baratheon? Yeah. yeah. If he had not been rejected by the current lords, uh, like the... Um, the Durandons? Yeah, the Andal lords, lords of Westeros, like currently... When um, Aegon tried to marry him off and they said, no, he's a bastard, that was, quote, unquote, one of the, you know, spurs to Aegon to come over here. Yeah. So it's, it is. It's like every time somebody is an asshole to somebody, like, worlds get destroyed. Just don't be an asshole in Westeros. Just don't do it. And then That's if someone's everybody. an asshole, fix it. Don't let them, like, rule forever or whatever. <laughs> More rebellions. That's what we need. <laughs> or maybe, be, actually. I don't know. <laughs> or selectively be an asshole. Be very careful who you're an asshole to. <laughs> don't be Megor the Cruel. No. So, which kind of gets to the rebellion, like I, like we keep saying, you know, is like this huge thing for a lot of characters. And, of course, Danny and Viserys are the most notable because, hello, they were exiled. <laughs> you know, live really horribly for you know the first in the beginning part of the books and so like she's just the big one that's really obvious and then the martells are another obvious one because obviously they're really angry about what happened with elia and john too i mean he lived in exile as well yeah well yeah john con our sad john con well you're talking john i'm talking john snow (laughs) (laughs) no like i'm serious he i mean if if our theory is correct which oh yeah it is uh, wherein he is Liana and Rhaegar's son, you know, Ned took him up north. Oh, yeah. And tried to give him, he had the most comfortable exile of all of them, but, you know, he still yeah. had a stepmother who was kind of an asshole to him. And he wasn't really given opportunities. He was given education. You know, he was given love from his family, but he had to be stay hidden. And when it was time for him to move, Ned would not have agreed to have him go off to the Night's Watch if he wasn't like, I can't bring him around Robert. This would be terrible. If yeah. only Kat had loved a mother. Oh my child. god. Oh god. That was horrible. <laughs> but I think the difference with John is that he doesn't know it yet, whereas these other characters know it and it is such a huge part of their lives. Like, yes, John Khan knows how awful his life is. Actually he doesn't, but Well, you know. I mean, but he knows the rebellion basically ruined his life. Yeah. And now I mean He's John holding... doesn't know it yet. And John I mean John Snow. And, of yeah. course, when Jon Snow figures it out, it's probably going to ruin his life and he's going to have huge guilt complex over it. I mean, come on. we can no, all- He's going to be crying for weeks, Hold man. on. By the time Jon figures out who his real parents are, look at all the other shit he's gone through. <laughs> this is just going to be a drop in the bucket. Like, oh, all right. I mean, I think he'll get over it, but I think he's also going to be, like, my parents A wolf. Are he's going to be a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> He'll make it all about him. No, I think it is about him. God damn it. He is the song of ice and fire. He is the song of ice and fire. No, but wouldn't it be really funny if he found out who his parents are while he was still, like, warging? Like, you mean now that he's dead and he's in ghosts? 
Right. Like I just think there there would just be a little like what the fuckness about that. I think that. Would I mean, be he'd probably handle it better inside Ghost than he would as a human. <laughs> he'd just pee on everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I can just you. basically think him his initial reaction just thinking the worst of Liana and Rhaegar from it and just then feeling guilty like it was all his fault or the worst of Rhaegar because it's it's very I'm even reading you know going through this passage every time you talk about a woman being taken or against her it's everybody's being raped as long as he doesn't find out by reading a history this book, book like this <laughs> I think maybe he'll have a better opinion. depends on who's telling yeah, him and how true. he's getting the information but then, even if he doesn't get the rape story, he'd still... I could see him thinking of them as selfish people. Because if you think of John, he's like, basically, get, now he's given up his life. Like, he's like, giving up they everything. They are selfish people. They were selfish people. And this is a good way to talk about Rhaegar. <laughs> but we're not ready to talk about Rhaegar. Ah, oh, fine. You gotta hold on, okay? okay. Calm down a bit. Because, <laughs> of course, there's other people that... You know, the rebellion, like Robert, like Robert never really got out of the rebellion. Let's be honest. He just stayed in it for his whole life. Well, that was his glory days. That's when people tell army stories or college stories, like Robert told rebellion stories. He never left that best part of his life. He's a high school jock. Yeah, he never Basically. did anything better than this. Still wearing his letter jacket that's like three sizes too small for him because <laughs> oh he's God. got his beer belly. Bring he me the totally plate stretcher. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> and then of course there's John Con, who I know Jenny, you know, has a lot of feelings over. His life just really sucks. And I just it's gonna be so sad when he finds out, you know, everything he's been living for in the past, you know, fourteen years is just a lie. Well, yeah. And he you know, he you know, tarnished his name by faking his own death. Than you know, having to leave the Golden Company, and it's, you know, that's why, like I said, I hope that, you know, Rhaegar wasn't this truly terrible person, because otherwise, you know, he was loving this guy for, you know, all these years for no good reason, well, and I think that would be really sad. I mean, yeah. the thing is, I don't know that... Uh... I don't want to say Rhaegar was a truly awful, terrible, horrible, no good no, person, I mean, but no. it, they wouldn't really matter. I mean, John Khan being in love with him um, is really more about John Khan and his own. Anything that's unrequited is really about you. You make the choice to love this person or not love this person or continue or not continue. He is choosing to do that because Rhaegar is a good light for him. And in that case, I'm kind of like, good. If you need this to get through your shitty, shitty life, go for it. <laughs> the fact it. that you got grayscale by saving Tyrion fucking Lannister. Right. I mean, like, but everything else that he does, you know, taking this kid in who's not, who isn't who he thinks he is as far as we're concerned. But I mean, everything else is kind of his fault. I just wonder how much he knows. I think he genuinely thinks that that is Aegon. Yeah. No, no, not about Aegon, but, like, I mean... Oh, you mean if he knows about Lyanna? Yeah, like, I... Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, I mean, he he was close with Rhaegar, so, like, I just wonder how much he knows about, you know, his interest in prophecy and all that. Mm -hmm. I... He doesn't talk about it, but I'd love to pick his brain. I think yeah. he would really forgive Rhaegar for just about anything. And oh, he I would think so, follow, too. He would follow him into anything. Well, he did, so. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. He still I is. Mean, he only became Hand because Rhaegar needed him to be Hand. Well, I mean, Eris picked him to be Hand because he needed someone young. Well, 
Well, but I there were definitely some manipulations going into that. I don't think Eris would have thought of his son's best friend um, without some kind of manipulation, especially when now that we know there was a schism between the two of them where you you would have had people fighting against it because they didn't want Rhaegar to have that much power. So last but not least, I think some characters that we really need to mention, and certainly not least, are the ladies in the narrative that kind of get shafted, not only because they die, but also just because they're really just around for the male characters. And of course, that's Elia, Lyanna, and Rayella, and even Ashara Dane to and, a certain extent, I think. Um, Joanne Lannister, too. Well, she's not, I'm talking about the rebellion lady. No, we were talking about the rebellion, but she was part of Aerys's thing. She's one of the reasons why Tywin went off the rails. Yeah, so we can add her, I guess. She's pre-rebellion, of course, her death. And her death's not related to the rebellion, whereas Elia, Lyanna, and Rayla are all related to the rebellion and Ashara, if she's actually dead. Well, except there, if, if Joanna had lived, perhaps the twins would have been married off to the Martell children. And that would have taken away some of the stuff going on with Martells and Elia even being in the position she's in. Yeah. There's True. all these little dominoes. There's a yeah. lot of what-ifs. I mean, uh... In the Targaryen Kings podcast, we talked a lot about how all the female characters in all of these histories never really get their due, and I feel like this is kind of another example of that. Like real life in real history? <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, it's like all, all the women get mentioned and you, like, you get little snippets about them, and you're like, well, I want to know more. And I feel like, you know, Elia and Lyanna and Rayella could be really interesting in Ashara, and we don't get anything about them because this is all about Robert being awesome. Because George will not let Philippa Gregory come in and do a spin-off series. <laughs> <laughs> not that she do a creditable... Like, I, I don't particularly like her. <laughs> but she would, do, she would do it. She'd pull out every female in Westeros, and she'd make a whole, like, trilogy about it. The ladies <laughs> of Ice and Fire, what we used to be. Good yeah. for her. So we always love the ladies of Ice and Fire, so I wanted to give a shout out to those ladies since they died way too early. Yes. And so before we get to Rhaegar, so hold oh, on. God, come on. <laughs> hold uh, on. Katie. You hear me, you could hear me through the silence. Like <laughs> <laughs> we're almost to Rhaegar. But uh, the first question is, did Eris have it coming? I kinda think he did. He, he totally was not did. long for the throne. He wasn't long for the throne. I mean, if this hadn't have happened, then Rhaegar would have done something and it would have been a far gentler coup and the Targaryens still would have been in power, but I don't think he was long for the throne, Eris. Yeah, I like, mean, I think stealing Jaime from Tywin was a really bad move. Like, I know it amused the rest of the lords at the time, but if he was going to continue doing shit like that, the lords would not stand for it because that's taking your male heir that you, like, cherish and that's all that matters to them. He, he was essentially killing the Lannister line doing that. I mean, I don't think anybody realized how serious that was. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been such assholes about it. Don't be assholes to anybody in Westeros. What are we learning? <laughs> you know, everybody's got a lot of issues with that then. Because every character is basically an asshole. Yeah, look um, at Littlefinger. <laughs> I mean, with the Targaryen kings, I mean, they most of them like flame out spectacularly. And That's I feel like Eris was headed for that <laughs> as well. Unintended? Yes. <laughs> oh my god. So I I feel like this is a good segue to talking about Rhaegar because of Thank course Christ. Rhaegar could have <laughs> acted differently. He could have stopped Eris sooner. 
But really, this all comes down to what is Rhaegar's deal? How can someone who's supposed to be so smart and so honorable and so valiant and all these things that like Barristan and Jorah and Viserys and Danny and even Ned say about him mess up so badly? Okay, so I have a theory. (laughs) Jenny first, and then I have a theory. I was just going to say that like, we don't, I guess everybody... Hmm, how do I say this? I mean, well, okay. Like, let's look at the perspective. So we've got, you know, we've got Robert who hates him because he perceives this terrible, you know, injustice done to him by taking Lyanna. Except to we've, be clear, the only thing Robert really says about him really is that he's a rapist. Right. He doesn't throw anything else at Rhaegar. True. Okay, but let's. Okay, yeah. so we've got we've got Robert who you know doesn't like him because of that. We've got Ned who doesn't really know him, but you know if our theories are correct, you know he at least you know he sent the Kingsguard to protect his sister. I don't know. So there's some honor in that, um, and you know perhaps Liana told him that she loved him. I don't know. Um, and then you know the other people that we get you know information on him from are. John Con, who is in love with him. You've got Jamie, who, you know, looked up to him. You know, you're not getting really unbiased opinions of him, I guess, is what I'm saying. I think the closest would probably be Barristan, and he's the one that said that Rhaegar was able and that above all determined, deliberate, dutiful, and single-minded. Which I is mean, true. Yeah. Yeah. Single-minded. But that's, that's not saying that he's, like, a fantastic person. That's just saying, like, dude was obsessed with prophecy. <laughs> and he felt he had yeah. to do, with the, do but this. But I feel like, actually, Jorah, too, is a little interesting because Jorah, of course, is from the North. So the North... Fought- yeah, what does Jorah really know about him? But yeah, I, that's what also I'm wondering. What does Jorah know? How, does, how can he make his whole comment about Rhaegar fighting valiantly, nobly, honorably, and then dying? I think he just sees him from afar and I think you get the stories and I think all of that you know comes together to create this idea of him and no one really knows the actual guy well no but if you got like if you got like Liana's perspective or Elia's perspective or I don't know you know it it also Sarah's perspective it depends on how um perceptive each character is too I think that Jorah had to be kind of perceptive just to live as long as he has in the company he's been keeping so I wouldn't completely disregard his thing and he also was trying to make a point to Daenerys when he said that I don't think it was really you know digging too deep into Rhaegar's personality but he's trying to say to her hey you know maybe you can't be as honorable so there, there was a lot of like his own um reasoning for saying what he said less about Rhaegar's personality and more about well, I, mean, I need to make a point to you yeah I think it was like you know, Rhaegar believed in, in what he believed in, and he, you know, was fighting for honor, or so he believed. And she thinks she's fighting honorably by freeing all the slaves and whatnot, but that doesn't always get you somewhere. No, and I don't think that Rhaegar thought he was fighting for honor during this rebellion. I think he was just fighting to survive. And to, like, well, I think yes. other people thought he was fighting for honor. They did, but I don't think he was. I mean, like, so we've seen in the show... Uh, in the show and in the books a lot of these characters kind of conflicting between two aspects of themselves and I actually now think that 
Rhaegar was doing that, wherein he had this part of himself that was driving to the prophecy and was really going for this, and he kind of saw this as his moment of greatness. And he kind of let that take over for a while. But in the back of his head, he's also seeing how badly his father is destroying the kingdom and how crazy he is and how he's destroying his own family, too. So I think that moment where he says, I should have done this long ago, was him choosing the duty of being the heir to the throne over the allure of being the point of this prophecy. Well, I mean, Duskendale, too, like he was supposed to you know, take over there. Like, er- like Tywin was going to let Eris die, you know? If only he did. If only, if only Barristan hadn't gone in there and been a fucking badass and saved him. Right. I mean, I think that that had been something that had been, you know, going in Rhaegar's mind for a really long time. Which do I do? Which is the right thing? And I think he kind of made that choice. But by the time he was ready to make that choice, then it was like his entire family against this entire group of people. So he had to defend his father, even though he wanted to do anything but. Right. Yeah. I thought that, I think there, Jenny made an interesting point in the notes where that with the exception of Jaehaerys I, that most Targaryen kings lived into old age, started to go mad at some point. And I think it's interesting to think about that, like, for all these people that do think about Rhaegar, he was still quite young when he died. Like, he's older than, of course, Ned, and I believe he's at least older than Ned, at least. And he's older than Lyanna, of course, because, you know, Lyanna's a child. But I think it could also be that he was just still so young and really hadn't done a lot. So it's like, yeah, he does get put on this pedestal of being, like, the last dragon and, you know, his ruby, like, armor and everything. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of, because they don't know anything else about him, because he was probably secretive. Yeah, it's that wasted potential. Because if he had, if he had become king, you know, say he had, you know, actually gone through with one of these plans, or say that the rebellion had gone in a different way, and he had become king, and he had lived longer, clearly he was so obsessed with this prophecy that I feel like he wouldn't have really been a good king because he would have been really focused on that. Yeah, and preparing for this you know, long winter that was coming, and yeah, the, like, the groundwork he laid might have been important in the end, and but I don't think people would have understood what he was doing, because clearly he's not very communicative. Well, well I yeah. mean, anybody who, who willingly puts themselves in as the Messiah in a savior prophecy is a little unhinged. Right. So, I mean, that's what makes that's me not trust point. him. Well, and I think we've seen, as with the Rebellion, he was willing to put the prophecy ahead of the well-being of Westeros. I mean, to be fair, he maybe thought that that winter was the winter and he had to get his Visenya at that exact moment. But it's like you couldn't hold off on your, as Rachel calls in our notes, crazy road trip of lust and (laughs) just deal with, like, some really important issues that are, like, the shit's hitting the fan and you're, like, in Dorne having sex. Like, what is going on here for months he was gone (laughs) i mean i can't it's hard to reconcile just with the person that you know this is the dutiful boy that read all the time and then all of a sudden he reads in a book that you know he reads about we assume he read about the prince that was promised something makes him realize he has to be a warrior so then he decides to become really good at like swords right and aemon talks about that to sam yeah like he changes his tactics and it's like so he seems like a serious and he's always described as serious so it's like he's a serious person and then all of a sudden, he 
is like whatever i'll just go on this crazy road trip of lust like what the curse of summer let's look at this for a second he's a young kid who's like way too serious and he reads in a book about this prophecy and he decides he makes the decision that the prophecy is about him no one yeah. puts this pressure on him but himself so yeah. then he says he is so like into himself that he goes you know what i should start studying to be a warrior because clearly this is about me and he goes and he learns how to be this like great warrior but that in and of itself is a warning sign because what the fuck kid <laughs> You need to be a good warrior because you are living in a time wherein kings need to fight. That is what you should be concentrating on, not some like weird prophecy, you strange, strange <laughs> child. And then, and then all of this shit is just so weird. Like every time he has a kid and he knocks up his wife who is like near death every time she gives birth, he's like, well, maybe this will be the kid. Like, no, you are strange. You are a weird person. Like this, this is my problem with Rhaegar. I do not trust you. You are, you are just odd. <laughs> sit in the corner and think about what you did well and I think it raises a legitimate point that people I think don't really talk about but I'll admit I think I've seen fanfic writers kind of explore this was he actually crazy like he could have been crazy like people don't talk about him that way but in order for someone to basically put this prophecy ahead of everything and assume it's him he just assumed it's him right. for whatever reason and well, I think it's because of Summer Hall so he had yeah. some basis in it but and then he assumes it's his kids or whatever. But then he let he like takes this maiden who's betrothed to one of the members of the great houses, doesn't tell anyone what's going on, and they go away for months. Like I just don't understand the logic in there. No, this is his Targaryen madness. You know, you have yeah. Aegon saying, "I am going to rule." You have Danny who says, "I am meant to rule," and he says, "I'm totally meant to rule, but also I am God's chosen." Like what? <laughs> I mean, we talk about, you know, Baylor the Blessed being, you know, a religious nut job, but I mean, <laughs> I uh, don't know if Rhaegar was quite so far off. No, he totally, I mean, he, he believes, who, who really wants to be Jesus? Like, who wants it? Who wants to be a Messiah figure? It's horrible, and it always ends in death. Look at any culture in the real world where there's a Messiah figure, it always ends in martyrdom. Why do you want this, Rhaegar? You are weird. Well, because I mean, he, I mean, to be honest, he might have been a depressed personality. I mean, there's enough information in the books where he really didn't seem like a happy person. I mean, no, I mean, know. I think if he thought that he could, you know, do something great with his life, and then I don't think he was afraid of dying. Yeah, I don't think he was afraid of sac having to sacrifice himself. I think he probably liked that idea. <laughs> well, yeah, because it makes him feel important. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's really fun to say, "Hey, I'm going to be this really important person, and my death will mean something." When you're reading about it in stories, but then it happens, and you're like, "Oh shit, I had people that I was responsible for, and I'm now leaving them in the dust." But I think if he's depressed and he doesn't, you know, have a lot of, I mean, obviously he overvalues himself in this case. But... <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if if he doesn't. If he, if he's using like the prophecy to make himself feel worthwhile, then what's going to be more worthwhile than him saving everybody by you know sacrificing himself in some grand way? Like, of course, it's gonna you know set him on that path. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting it's, to think yeah. about. The one thing I wonder. So at some point, it's clear that he realizes that it's not him, and that he thinks it's going to be Aegon. I mean, at least in Danny's vision in the House of the Undying, that's what it seems like. And also, if you go with the assumption that he 
you know, decided to have sex with Liana to get his Visenya. But my whole thing is, so, if he's so concerned about that, and he, like, puts this ahead of everything else, maybe it was that he thought that the winter they were in was the winter, but it's like, but these are still babies. They're not going to do anything. If they are the messiahs, like the prophesied people, then wouldn't it wait until they were older? So can't you handle this heiress crap now? Maybe he knew that the winter was going to come in a certain amount of years, and he wanted to make sure that they were going to be old enough at the time. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think that, you know, we, we, you guys already pointed out that he was very young, and Liana was very young. No, and, well, okay, I think Rhaegar was in his 20s. I don't think right. he was, like... Well, no, but, okay, so you're, you're in your 20s. Say he's even, like, mid-20s. You're still being led around by your dick. And then you have Liana, <laughs> who is 16. You know, it's just... I can absolutely believe, I can see Rhaegar being the kind of person who falls deeply in lust with Lyanna, and she does with him for their own separate reasons. And I think hers was a lot of, she didn't like Robert, she had a crush on Rhaegar for forever, and they really saw, he respected her, especially if he found her when she was running away from being the Knight of the Laughing Tree. I mean, there's a whole thing going on there. So I can believe that he fell deeply in lust with Lyanna, and he justified that by saying she is my Visenya. Like, no, I don't no, think it was... Not that she is the Visenya, it's that she's going to give birth to the Visenya. Well, I know, right, she was right. also his Visenya because she was his second wife, so... Yeah, exactly, okay. like, I, I really, I see that, or his Rhaenys, his uh, Rhaenyra, rather. Was Rhaenys No, Rhaenys. Rhaenys. So she was his Rhaenys, where Elia was his Visenya, because Elia was his duty marriage, who he still cared for, but she was his duty marriage, and then Rhaenys was his great love i can see him doing that where he justifies his actions with this stupid prophecy because that's how he's been justifying his actions his entire life i guess it's interesting to think about it in that way like he fell in love lust with her and then justified it by the prophecy rather than picking her out because of the prophecy yeah I feel most people are that do it that way you just said jenny instead of the other way where they think that he actually did fall in love with her and then justified it later on. Because, I mean, if you look at it, like, did he... Because, I mean, when you talk about Jon Snow and you talk about, you know, the Starks plus the Targaryen, you talk about it as, you know, the Song of Ice and Fire, and you look at it that way, it makes it seem like he was like, oh, well, I need, you know, someone from the North, or I need, you know, I feel like, did that enter... Did that enter into it? Is that, like, did he pick Liana out for that reason, or did he fall in love with her first? I think he fell in love with her first, because otherwise, what's the point of the story of the Night of the Laughing Tree? The fact that he came upon her, and he saw who she was. Well, because I, I think you could take it both ways. You could say that he fell in love with that aspect of her, or you could say that he saw something in her that was like, yeah, I want a daughter from her, because my Visenya is going to be like her. So I could see it being both ways in order like I would almost prefer that it would be that he actually loved her because that makes me feel better about the both of them if it was the <laughs> other way then I feel really horrible for Liana because then she's just being goaded into some and sort I of think, prophecy sex I think that's thing. what what like bugs me about Rhaegar or like made me concerned about Rhaegar is like when you think about it that way and you think that this is like this overly calculated thing where it's like oh well I need someone of northern descent so that I have you know <laughs> like northern magic old gods magic plus you know dragon magic and that will make a song of ice and fire and that's kind of fucked up you know <laughs> it's like oh yeah. I need her 
rather than no it was such a shit show it was such a shit show what happened when they got together that I don't think it could have been um pre-planned I don't think it could have been orchestrated on his part I don't think that he was like hey this is the genetic code that I need I think he just (laughs) fell for her Unless he did set up the attorney at Hall, in which case he was getting all of those people together and he was going to get his northern princess. No, no. I mean, like, I really, I think he was, he was making the choice to kind of oust Ares and then this kind of happened and it took him off his guard and his, his emotional map was like, oh, is something profound happening to me? It's the prophecy. And it's like, no, you idiot. You just fell in love. Like, deal with yourself. It's interesting because I haven't, I've never really thought about it that way. Yeah, I don't really think, I tend to think of him the other way. Mostly because I feel like George is setting it up as like a romance because it seems that way from like at least Danny's perspective. Yeah. And then I feel like the reveal might be that it's not as happy as people, the fans in particular, want it to be that there are problems and issues. I mean, there's always going to be issues with it because she was so young, like. Well, even if it's a romance, I mean, look, be honest, she didn't want to be with Robert either. She was, she didn't like the path that she was on. She felt trapped. So, I mean, they all, even with them being in love or being in lust, whatever draw drew them to each other, they had other reasons to keep going too. So it is complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure hers was like love. I I think hers might've been more, at least in the beginning, pragmatic. Like she just wanted to get out. I think it was infatuation though. I mean, she had a little Sansa going on in her, you know? I mean, I think that's certainly plausible. I mean, I I have thought previously about the idea that, you know, for her, it was kind of like a a mutual thing. Like, if he had, like, I mean, we don't don't know what happened. Let's just put it that way. So, I mean, he, for all we know, he could have gone to her and been like, so, I read this prophecy. (laughs) Let me tell you about everything. And you can be like, well, you know, sure, I'll enter into this agreement because I don't really want to marry Robert. And this is, you know, it's mutually beneficial for both of us. So sure, let's run off together. And I hope that's how he would have done it. If he was an (laughs) asshole and didn't tell her anything until they get to Dorne and he's like having sex with her multiple times. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, hey, I did this for Frosty. I got to leave you for a bit. You're going to birth my baby or whatever. Like Now, okay, wait, wait, I have a question. So if he, if the idea is that he wanted his Visenya or whatever, did he expect John to be a girl? I think so, and I think if he had lived, he would have been like, fuck, what the hell? <laughs> like, I screwed up again! Damn and I'm kind of hoping that Leanna knew that he wanted a girl, and when it ended up being a boy that looks like her, and not even like him, that she, was, that she would have been like, hell yeah, this is my kid. This is all <laughs> a Stark. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I just, I kind of see, because I also am, am influenced by his, like, the kids involved. Like, I see a lot of Sansa and Arya and Lyanna, and I see a lot of Jon and Rhaegar. And so I'm kind of thinking about how Jon would do it. And I can totally see Jon being like, oh, man, I'm really into this girl. And then later on going, oh, I got her pregnant. Um, This could totally be the prophecy. You know, like, just kind of making himself feel better, <laughs> being able to live with it well, I mean, because I've, of that. I've compared Jon to Rhaegar in the past yeah. in terms of how he handles everything in, in Dance with Dragons and the fact that he knows that, you know, the White Walkers are coming, and if we leave all the wildlings out there, sorry, free folk, um, (laughs) that they will turn into whites, and then they'll have, like, a whole army of dead people against them, and they'll be screwed. But he's not really explaining his position to anybody, and he's just making all these decisions, and 
and not letting anyone in on the plan, and that's why he gets stabbed. And that's similar to Rhaegar and the fact that he, you know, didn't really let people in on his plans either, and they both start very bad things. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I guess, so, this, this is one of my main issues, too. It's like, could no one send a fucking raven? Like... <laughs> Even just Liana sending something to, like, she had to have foreseen that her brother would not react well to this. Like, How do you know, you guys, how do you know she didn't? And how do you know it wasn't shot down by Tywin Lannister? Or I've seen also people suggest that maybe Blood Raven, like, made sure the Ravens wouldn't get delivered. Because no, it no, just seems want, really weird. I want, I want, like, a chapter of, um... Tywin Lannister is standing there with a bow and arrow shooting down <laughs> raven after raven after Well, I mean, raven. I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't put it past him because he was too, like, ready to go when Robert needed him. You know, like, he, he was probably orchestrating a lot behind the scenes and just never Wait, told anybody. Tywin? Because Tywin stayed out of the war for, like, a long time. I know he did, but that he officially stayed out of the war for a long time. I would not have put it past him. To throw certain things around, namely money <laughs> and influence, in the background because he hated Ares that much. And then he Tywin waited. The puppet master. Yeah, and then he waited. He's always been a puppet master. He waits until he has the exact right moment. And he's like, hey, I'm in position. I can help you. Perhaps. I'm not sure that he would be the one responsible for not, for Ravens not getting delivered, though. <laughs> I think, I mean, I don't, I, it just makes me sad, because I think, like, she didn't get any messages out that we know of. But did she get messages? Like, did she know that Brandon and Rickard were killed? Like, and if she yeah, did, I mean, was she all alone when she found out with her family? And, all and then, I, I don't know, I just think that if she, if I were her, and if it were me, or even if it were Arya or Sansa, if they got word that their father and brother had died basically as a result of something that she did, I would, they would feel horrible. Like it would just kill them. I have a fantasy that that was the moment that Rhaegar decided to enter the field of battle. Like when he, when they found out about her family and he saw how torn up she was, like that was when he was like, this is my fault. I need to take care of it. So he was like, let me go fight on the other side. <laughs> well, no, but the thing is he can't, you know, the only way for him to control the outcome was no, I to know. come it's from just... it. No, I know. It's just to come from it from the side that he actually had power. He's like, don't worry, honey. I'll go solve everything. I'm going to go try and kill your other brother. Well, no, he's like, maybe I can like orchestrate where my father gets accidentally pushed out of a window. <laughs> I do have the right people Talk involved. to Jamie Lannister. Right. I mean, He's like, good at pushing people out of windows. Defenestration <laughs> of Ares Targaryen. Like, I think everybody would have cheered, but... I mean, I guess I could think of that, but that would have meant that they would have heard about Rickard and Brandon really late. They could have. They were in Dorne. So, question. So, was Lyanna just, like, chilling in this tower for, like, nine months? I mean, that's what it seems like. I mean, we don't, like I said, we don't have all the information, but it seems that's where they were. Because remember, all we know is that Rhaegar disappeared. People couldn't find him when all the shit was going down. I feel so, like she's Rapunzel, you know. She's yeah. just like hanging in her tower. <laughs> How pregnant was she when they left? Well, presumably, okay, well, when did the, when did 
when was John conceived? Was he conceived after they got to the Tower of Joy and she just lived in that tower for nine months until she gave birth to baby John and then she died? Because that really sucks. Well, no, I, I always think, thought yeah. that they, he was conceived at the tourney. And that was why she ran to him. She's like, I'm pregnant. Fuck this. I never thought of it that way. I don't way. think the math works out that way. Well, we don't know because she met him ten leagues from Harrenhal. No, but I mean, if you think about it, John's about Rob's age. Yeah. Rob no, he's was not. definitely... He's a, year, he's a year older than Rob. No, he's not. I yes, know you want is. to say that, but I really think that we're supposed to believe they're not. And we, and He's we like know, a couple months older, that's it. Yeah, like we know John was born really at the end of the rebellion. Like, we know that. No, He's oh, like so a month he, or two older than Danny or something. Are you sure? I think George has said this. What? When did that happen? I thought he was like already... Didn't Kat have this whole dialogue where she's pregnant and Ned comes home with John? No. no, he she had already given birth to Rob. Okay. And John's already in Winterfell when Kat arrives with Rob. Yeah. Because Ned beats him, beats her there. Well, and also if you think about the fact that Ned shows up at the Tower of Joy when Lyanna is dying from childbirth, it has to be relatively soon after she gave birth. Like, it could be weeks after the fact, but it wouldn't be, like, months, I don't think. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if it's, this is a childbed fever, it would have been, like, days yeah. So I think John John was not conceived at the tourney. No. But I think he, he was conceived at Tower of Joy. Okay, but he's at least a few. Uh, just, just from the timing, it takes three months to get from Winterfell to King's Landing. And then an extra few weeks. Two months. Is it two months or three months? Two months. Two months. So then an extra few weeks. So it's about a three. He's at least two and a half to three months old. When... He gets to Winterfell, and then... No, I mean, so, he's not, like, a newborn. He's certainly a couple months older than Rob, but he's not a year older than him. I always thought he was a year older. He's at least no. six months older. <laughs> I think it's because some fans like to put forward the notion that he could be, but... And then other people are like, well, no, because Kat would notice. Like, she would be like, hey, wait a second. This kid is significantly older than my, my kid in this nursery. What's going on here? Yeah, it has, to, it has to make sense for when Ned would have, you know, conceived the child with somebody. So, like, six months he's maybe? lying about it. I don't, yeah. I don't think he's that much older than Rob. I think they're pretty close in age. It's probably, like, four, like four months. Four months? Okay. Because how long is this stupid rebellion? <laughs> you wouldn't know it from this book. No, you wouldn't, would you? <laughs> and I don't really, I don't really do dates. Like I know this stuff, but I don't <laughs> keep track of the dates. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up. Keep talking. Okay. So, okay. um, so since we're kind of on this topic too of like the Tower of Joy and everything, I, you know, like reading this, they don't even really talk about the King's Guard except to say that some of them were, you know, with Rhaegar and they died. And it just made me think of, like, the whole sequence that we have from Ned's point of view in A Game of Thrones. And then also how Ned and other people think about Eris's Kingsguard and how they're, like, the epitome of, like, honor and, like, a Kingsguard. And it's just my, like, it's just, like, I can't reconcile that with, one, them actually standing by as Rhaegar kidnaps a young girl. <laughs> so I, that's another reason why I don't think that she was kidnapped. But also right. it's like, what the hell was going on in this rebellion? And why were half of them like still at the Tower of Joy? I think it was like a year, year and a half long. Year, year and a half? It says, I'm looking at the timeline because I had it open earlier. Because um, it says like 282 to 283 AC. So. 
It couldn't be more than two years. Um, but yes, I don't, I mean. So she wasn't pregnant then. If John is actually the baby that, that she ended up dying from giving birth to. <laughs> you think she had another one? Well, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that she gave birth to a stillborn. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, it's highly unlikely. You know what? He had, she had John and Rhaegar was like, this is not a girl. Let's try again. <laughs> oh my God. Well, no, I mean, it's highly unlikely, but I mean, we don't know. Kill the boy. Oh. Like, can you think of, Rhaegar's the first, like, man in Westeros that's probably like, I want a daughter. I don't want a son. <laughs> really, but I never thought it. I always thought that he thought his wives. I never would have even thought that he was looking for a girl. Well, I, I mean, the three heads of the dragon thing never really made that much sense to me. Like, what? I mean... Where did he get the, Was that part of the thing that he read? Like, I just want to... I we want this page of text that he read. To <laughs> to mean, all we know <laughs> is that the Woods Witch told Chaharis, the second, I believe, that someone in their line will be the prince that was promised. So we know right. that happened. And then so, we can assume that maybe that's what Rhaegar saw. But once again, I don't think we have, like, confirmation. So, okay, so... He read something about the prince that was promised, but why did he think that the dragon had three heads and that that mattered? That might have been his own prophecy. They yeah. do. They He's do just making shit prophecy. up now. No, no, no. I mean, Daenerys saw the same thing. True. Yeah. I mean, it is their house sigil. True. So the dragon has three heads means they need three kids. Right, but or not, three people. Right, three people. It doesn't have to be two women and a man. It doesn't have to be... I mean, I, I personally think it's going to be a one woman and two men. Right. Well, I mean... Well, yeah, I think that's what George is going for. The story for, is going. If you go by the names Rhaegar was giving his children, then it seems that he was thinking more that two is girl, true. one boy. Because he's very literal-minded. <laughs> well, or but it could it, just be what Eamon said. No one stops to think that these could be applying to a woman. Right. Like no one cares about women in yeah. this world. So no one, like, and and this is why I kind of hope it is actually Danny because I'm like, well, yeah, because no one stopped to think it could be her. So they like totally didn't pay attention to her because they I were mean, so focused on it being a man. I mean, we talk about the three heads of the dragon, or at least I do, as being the three different prophecies that are all kind of the same. So we have yeah. Azora High, the prince that was promised in the last hero. That's how I think of it too. So. I just, I just want to know what he read. We're never going to find out, Jenny. I know. <laughs> and it upsets me. So, okay, so back to these, this Kingsguard discussion, because I uh, just have a lot of feelings about it, because I, on the one hand, I love Arthur Dane. I love the Danes in general. And I just really hope, and I'm scared, that we're going to get some sort of reveal that will make me not hold him in such high esteem. Well, okay, so the Kingsguard are supposed to be full of honor, right? But look at all the Kingsguard that we actually know. These are horrible people. Or they're just terribly flawed, which is fine. Like, bring me a flawed person. That, that's humanity. But, I mean, it's just, it's a joke. These people who wear the right cloaks, those are usually the worst people to associate yourself with. That's what I was saying in the doc. I was like, when, when, they talk, when people talk about Eris' Kingsguard, they're talked about as if they're just like the shining example of knighthood and then you get to Robert's Kingsguard and they're just all terrible people 
I mean, with the exception of, like, Barristan, who came from that era, everyone else is just, like, terrible. Well, and, and, and Jamie, who legitimately would be a good King's Guard if he wasn't boinking the Queen. Well, right. But I mean... Twin. <laughs> but I mean, if you, if you look back at history, and I feel like, in general, the King's Guard in history is held to such high regard until you get to the part where we're actually reading firsthand about them, and it's like... Would we think that... I mean, if we look at the stories we've read... So, like, Kristen Cole, not such a great guy, you know? So, like, anytime we actually really get information about individual Kingsguard people, like, they're not always great people. In fact, they're usually not. (laughs) And I just wonder if, like, as a whole, the Kingsguard as an organization is thought of as this... You know, they're supposed to be the shining example of knighthood and honor and all of that. But the reality versus the perception are very different things. I mean, and I think it stems from, like, I mean, Visenya created the Kingsguard in the first place because she and Aegon got attacked. And Aegon wanted to hold a tourney and, like, you know, get the best knights to fight it out and become the Kingsguard that way. And she was like, that's a really terrible idea. We have to get people who are loyal to us. And I feel like in getting people that are loyal to you, you don't get, you know, the most honorable people. Well, I mean, the loyalty is one thing, but you know, you don't want somebody who's going to be gallant and noble to protect you if someone's trying to kill you. It's just, it's the brawn principle. It's like, do you want someone who is going to fight honorably or do you want someone who's going to win? Right. And I just think there's a, a difference between what they're supposed to be to the public and what they're supposed to be to the kings that they serve. I mean, they're supposed to be loyal without fault. And, you know, I mean, and and Eris's Kingsguard are. I mean, obviously, they stood by and let him, you know, as Megan points out, sexually assault his wife. And they did nothing. And Jamie had a problem with that. And, you know, they're like, this is just what we have to do. And... So it's not, you know, I mean, they did a lot of not-so-great things, and it's just, it's interesting because the Kingsguard are held on such high regard, but they're all terrible people, and then you get, like, I mean, if you look at, like, the Night's Watch, like, they're just considered complete jokes all the time, but, I mean, they're, they start out as probably not-so-great people, but they, you know, they have their own form of honor, and I think a lot of, in a lot of ways, they're much better people than the Kingsguard. Well, Hell that's yeah. the difference. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, that's that's kind of the difference between, even if you're going to compare now Rhaegar, think of, like, Rhaegar as, like, a parallel to the Kingsguard, and then you have the Night's Watch, and say, like, John, it's like, you have the difference between someone who wants to be in these exalted positions versus people who had that exalted position forced onto them and rise to the occasion, whether they want to or not. Where you have the Night's Watch, who are a bunch of people who were there because they had no other choice. And then they end up becoming these heroes because they have to be. And you have the Kingsguard and you have Rhaegar who are like, we want to be these prophesied like great heroes. We want to be these people who are just like fond over because we're wonderful and we work our lives to be this. And they end up just letting it deteriorate them. Like the position destroys them. Those are the two parallels, I think. And I think it's really well done on George's part. So I'm going to, I was going to say two things. One, that Jamie said that, you know, putting on the white cloak, you know, soiled him, not the other. And he didn't soil the white cloak. 
kind of a thing, and I think that's basically what we're saying. And two, I was going to compare it to the Hunger Games. <laughs> and, like, you have, like, the careers, you know, the people who, in, you know, Districts 1 and 2, who, like, train to be in the games and, you know, want to be these, you know, great fighters and heroes and whatever to, you know, the capital people, whatever. And then you have, you know, the District 12 people, you have, you know, characters like Katniss and Rue who are just fighting to survive who are certainly the more heroic characters in the story. And I kind of feel like that's sort of the King's Guard versus the Night's Watch. Yeah, it's like, the Night's Watch is just like, they're like the ragtag sports team that, you know, succeeds over insurmountable odds versus the championship, you know, team defending their title kind of a thing. Yeah, and they'll never get recognition for it. And I think that's the thing. Like, once you join the Kingsguard, people tell you how awesome you are and that you're great. And I think it gets to people's heads probably. Whereas, especially with Robert's Kingsguard and the one that currently exists with under Tommen. But with the Night's Watch, that no one gives you anything. <laughs> You yeah, you become get... faceless. It's like the Night's yeah. Guard has done Night's Watch rather has done this. And that's how they like it. They they don't want to necessarily stand above the crowd. Um, even though you do have more opportunity to rise, you only care about that in the confines of their own society. Everything else is like, we're here to help you. I mean, I think the Night's Watch become better people because because no one's looking at them. Right. Because they're their own thing and they're doing it to survive and they're doing it. It's this thankless job, but they know what they're doing is for the good of the realm because they've seen what's out there and they know what's coming. Well, most of them. Um, and then you have the Kingsguard who, they're just constantly propped up and put on pedestals and, and you know, which makes them think that they're better than they are. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, but I mean, I, I yeah. Wow. I think this is a really good preview of our celibacy cast, which will happen at some point. Um, I just I just think it's interesting to raise, especially in regards to Eris's Kingsguard and the Rebellion, since they are held in such high esteem when you think of other Kingsguard. And Ned does it, too. And Ned's not really the type to, like, throw around high esteem, but he does it. And I know, we know, I know, I love Ned, but I understand how much he loves Bao, so it's possible that he just respects them because they <laughs> apparently stuck to their vows, even if it meant staying out of the rebellion. Now, okay, question. <laughs> so, he's all about vows and everything, and he yells at Jamie about, you know, breaking his vows by killing Eris. You know, we can debate that. We've debated that already, what, you know, whether that's a good thing or not. But, like, what was he respecting, you know, Arthur Dane and... I can't remember who else is there now. Um, Tower and High Wentz. Tower and went yeah. Um... Why is he respecting them if they're not with their king and they're not with their heir? Are, aren't they? Well, I know, I know. But Well, but I also want to, why did they, they must have known Ned. Why are you fighting to the death so that Ned could get to his sister? That's another good question. And I think, well, uh, yeah, I know. We didn't, this, I think the Tower of Joy could be its own podcast. But yeah. I feel like George has said that you shouldn't take that dream literally, but obviously there's things from there that we can take from it. But I think from their perspective, you have to remember that Ned is still one of the leaders of the rebellion. And it's not that they, it's like if he were to, 
they, I don't think they actually thought he would hurt Liana. It's that they he would take John, and it's like if he were to take who they might think the heir or someone important, it's like then he's no longer in the Targaryen control. So it's like they're losing their king, maybe, or just their savior. It's if you believe the Kingsguard are there because John's the heir, or are they there because Rhaegar told them that John's the savior? Who knows? Or Rhaegar just told them to stay there and obey orders. Or just stay there and obey orders, and they were just following orders. They're keeping to their vows. Uh, yeah, there's. Respect I mean, that. that those reason that reasons like you're kind of Ned would be like, what the fuck, dude? Seriously, <laughs> like it's just a girl and a bastard kid. Like, what is the big deal? Um, I feel like I, they might have known more. Yeah, I have a question. Do we possibly, if George is saying don't take the dream literally, I'm wondering if Ned kind of put. Say each guy died and he may have witnessed it. I'm not saying he killed all these people because, like, whatever, Ned. But, like, say he witnessed the deaths of all these people and they kind of, that kind of became the dream where he's seeing their deaths and seeing how he had to walk through all of them to get to Liana. Like, maybe that's what was going on there where it wasn't necessarily that they were all at the Tower of Joy. But the Tower you know, of Joy is representing I'm pretty- that. I mean, I see what you're saying, but I think we're, pr- I'm pretty sure that we're told through Ned and other means that he did fight them, like his group. Because you have to remember, ha- like the only people to survive in his party were he-, he and Howland. So those other people had to die somehow. And I'm pretty sure it's said by multiple people that, you know. Well, because uh, Lady them. Dustin, her, was it her father, her husband that went with them? Well, I think it was her betrothed, right? They weren't Yeah, married. something like that. Or no, they were, obviously, because yeah. he is married now. So, yeah. Yeah. They had just gotten married. And then, of course, Jojen, you know, Jojen and Mira, of course, tell stories from Howland. So, I think, I do think, even though the dream's not totally literal, I think he meant the dialogue, not necessarily that they fought. The last thing I kind of wanted to touch on, just because it's a conspiracy that kind of, I think, came out of uh, A Dance with Dragons, maybe. I can't remember. It's one of the more recent conspiracies that fans talk about. And it's that, like, Southern Ambitions conspiracy that, you know, the maesters are manipulating lords into overturning the Targaryens and all that stuff. And to be honest, I haven't read too much of this, but I admit that I kind of like the theory, if only because I kind of like the idea that... Eris had it coming all along and that the rebellion just brought it sooner maybe I yeah I mean I think that <laughs> the rebellion just turned it into a shit show I mean I think someone would have taken Eris down eventually yeah, yeah. or I mean he just would have like lit himself on fire accidentally I hope that Rhaegar would have maybe pushed him a little bit too close to the fire if that was gonna happen <laughs> I would hope that Rhaegar would be like you know what this is terrible Whoops. Yeah. My Oopsies. daddy doesn't even love me. I don't care. Die in a fire. <laughs> well, and I feel like the world of Ice and Fire introduces this notion of the secret benefactor of the tourney. And it could just be a red herring. There could be nothing to it. But it would actually be interesting if there was an actual secret benefactor. And if it were, if it wasn't Rhaegar, maybe it was the Citadel or maybe it was one of the great houses. Like, And we may never know. But I find that intriguing that there was some political stuff that could have been going on. It was the High Towers. It could have been the High Towers. It was Illyrio. <laughs> <laughs> hey, He's like, I he already got... got this baby that could replace this other baby. <laughs> He's got Varys in place. Rachel was really bothered by 
the fact that Eris, like, <laughs> it's like, reached across the narrow sea and plucked, like, Varys over, or whatever it says in there. It's just really strange wording. Like, Varys I mean, didn't know exactly what he was doing. He was like, Well, hey. I mean, that's, that's interesting, too, because Varys was the one who's feeding him all of these, you know, paranoid delusions that he's having. You know, I mean, certainly he was nuts, but, I mean, Varys pushed him over the edge. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is noted early on in that section that Varys is considered one of his allies, and that Eris trusts him. He shouldn't. Yeah, that did not... I mean, we don't... I'm assuming that didn't go well for him. <laughs> you don't trust er- Varys. You can like Varys. You don't trust Varys. Yeah. I mean, and we don't know what Varys' motivations are still, which is also incredibly frustrating, but... I mean, obviously he and Illyrio have been planning things for a really long time, and especially if you buy into the Blackfire theory, it's like, you know, I mean, he was pushing things towards chaos to begin with, so I mean, even if the rebellion didn't happen, he still would have been pushing. So Jenny, are you saying Varys is a secret benefactor for the Harrenhal tourney? Yes. It was Illyrio. (laughs) It was Illyrio through Varys. And did they somehow get Liana the armor that did not fit her very well, but yes. was sufficient enough for her to beat them? Honestly, I think that they will kill John the second they see him. Because he is a fly in he's their He's already ornament. dead. Shut up, he's not dead. Shut up. Varys controls Bowen Marsh. <laughs> no, 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 but I really think that he's like going to be a problem for them because they, he, he can't be an heir. I think if they want Aegon there, they, yeah. he can't be an heir. I mean, I think you would be correct if Aegon actually lived that long. I'm pretty sure Fagon is going to die horribly before the reveal of Jon even gets done. Well, I mean, that's that's the whole thing with Varys. You know, you have his like his motivations are so confusing because he's talking to Illyrio, you know, in book one when Arya overhears talking about Danny, and he's clearly involved in that whole thing. But then he's got you know, Fagon on the side, and it's it's just like, where what are you where are you going with this? I like I don't understand. George, you have to explain it to us. I mean, and Illyrio is just as involved, and if it is his son, that I mean, Fagon is his son. I mean, they're super heavily involved, and is it just that they were planning on having him marry Danny? But you know, it's like the the dragon eggs. Like Illyrio gave her the dragon eggs. Why did he think that she would be able... Did he think that she would be able to hatch them? Like I don't think so. I just, like, I, I just... Like, why didn't he give Fagon a dragon egg? Why didn't he give Viserys a dragon egg? Why weren't they all carrying them around as children and having terrible lives so that they can have dragons, like Rachel suggests? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is, like, he... Illyrio is working with Varys. Varys categorically hates magic. Like, he would have wanted nothing to do with anything with the dragon magic and letting that hatch whatever so I don't even think that Illyrio thought of anything of the dragon eggs except for that they were pretty and she'd really like them and she'd remember him for it you know what I don't really buy anything that Barris says as <laughs> truthful so that whole story about hating magic it could totally be false he could be playing everybody I wouldn't put it past him but he was so upset you know what he's got a fucking wizard in a box on the show that they haven't addressed so <laughs> I don't really know <laughs> And can we just, like, something that just clicked in my head, and I don't know why it didn't click in my head before, considering that I've 
always thought Fagan was fake. And I, you know, I didn't always jump to the conclusion that it was Illyria's kid. But once I heard about that, I was like, okay, yeah, I could believe that. But it just hit me where I'm like, if that is his son, what a horrible father he is that you're basically sending your son to die horribly. But you know what? I would also love the story of Varys and Illyrio in Bravos or in Pentos, like screwing people over. Were they in Bravos or Pentos? Pentos. There, there are so many like spinoff series that can come off of this, <laughs> this just one story. <laughs> yeah, the the Varys and Illyrio story, the Rhaegar and Viserys children's story. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> like I would watch the shit out of that. And some AU where, you know, everyone lives and for some reason Rhaegar does end up being king and he has, you know, his two kids with Elia and he has John and Viserys is still alive and Viserys is just being annoying with them. Totally see it. Happening. Oh my god. Viserys and John would be hysterical. <laughs> Wait, to bring it back full circle, how about the Robert Baratheon Ned Stark buddy comedy? Oh my god. The odd couple of the veil. With John Aaron standing over them. Yeah, like being just like that frustrated parental figure. Like, oh, you kids. Except Ned would probably be also a parental figure going, that's not a good idea. We should no. do that. No, Robert is like steering him. He he is our everyman. He is our hero. You know, it would be like... Friend. It would be like, you know, Ned is the the serious one and Robert's the one who's always getting into trouble and Robert's trying to corrupt Ned and Ned's... You know, being all like, we can't do this. It's against the rules. You know what it is? It's freaking supernatural. It's Sam and Dean Winchester <laughs> riding through the veil, like saving people, hunting things, the family business. Oh my God. So, on that note, should we? Does anyone have any other comments about the heroic tale of Robert Baratheon? It all ended horribly. It all ended horribly. Cheers. I mean, not right away, but it does. So we're going to do something a little different with our toast. We're also going to toast to, you know, the people we mentioned before who died way before they should have. So we're going to give a toast to Elia, Liana, Riella, and Joanna. We'll add Joanna in Yes. Here. And Ashara. And Ashara. And Ashara. To the ladies. To the ladies. They deserved longer and happier lives and much better men in their lives yes. as well. <laughs> and so we'll also toast to Jon Snow. So, to John to Snow. John Snow. And we can only hope he won't blame himself for everything that just happened in the rebellion. Oh, who are about. you kidding? <laughs> He's going to need a lot of therapy. Yeah, that poor kid. Oh. They haven't invented therapy yet that would be useful to this kid. Yeah. Poor John. They got to get love on you. That. Come John. on, Citadel. Yep, there's alcohol. Just go for the free folk stuff, it's stronger. He can't handle that. <laughs> he might need it after Howland or Bran or whoever Never tells happen. him. To the ladies and Jon Snow. Agreed. To the ladies and Jon Snow. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. And so he broke that sacred oath that Lord of the Crossing. And now the pie crusts cover his kin, and they're so good to eat. Yes, now the pie crusts cover his kin, revenge it tastes so sweet. Okay. <laughs>
Miss Whiskey, you've got your drink. <laughs> yes. So, okay. Like, <laughs> coming back to the podcast after that brief snafu of audio shenanigans, I have now returned with my milky tea drained with some Glenfiddich, aged 12 years. Nice. I think Robert would approve. Yes. I love scotch. Scotchy yeah. scotch. Yeah. Katie, you are Thoros of Mir. I can totally, I am down with being Thoros of Mir. Can I get a flaming sword? I need a <laughs> <Perhaps>. flaming sword. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. You have to earn it. 